I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 14. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Hopefully everyone enjoyed our episode with our first guest speaker, Ashley. Yeah. It was so fun getting to talk to her and hopefully we'll get to hear some more of her stories. Oh yeah, I definitely want to um, go on like a some kind of haunted ghost tour with her just to like have her as kind of like a live living ghost right 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 by the time this episode comes out it'll be the day after thanksgiving Mm -hmm. so i will be in the moreland area so maybe she'll be able to take me around some places you'll have to Maybe if they're open, look at some shops. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, so that's kind of my plan, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I Let's see. I know we're going to Grandma's for Thanksgiving. Yes. And my older brother will be there with his family, so that'll be special. I don't... I don't think we're really doing anything else. My sister is making my green bean casserole. Oh. And so you'll get to eat that. Nice. Okay. I'm also making it as well, but I'll be at so a different Thanksgiving. It? Well, I'm not going to your Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I had a, a brain fart. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> Um, I'm going to make it for ours, and there's a chance. I guess I will be becoming a great aunt next week. Oh, yay. yay. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. You old bitty. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. My husband's nephew's wife is giving birth to a little girl. It's just weird to think of you as a great aunt. I know. I mean, I'm going to be a great aunt anyways, because I'm like the best. But yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, (laughs) actually, yes. I don't know. It's just weird to think about because you're not old enough. (laughs) I know. know. That's what I think too. But yeah, it'll be fun. Well, that'll be. Good to see her. Hopefully. That'll be a fun Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes. After this show airs, or this episode airs, I will have dressed as a turkey for a day since I won our school's turkey feather sales contest, or I guess technically my class won. Uh So I will get to dress as a turkey. Yay. I hope there's pictures. Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So big shout out to... Mostly, probably, my sorority sisters who all pitched in and had a vision (laughs) of me and feathers. And uh, we raised a lot of money. My class raised over $700. The school raised close to $3,000. And 100% of all the money goes to families out of our school to help them have mm-hmm. a Christmas. I think that's really great. That's really yes, awesome. It's really cool. So even though I'm probably the worst elementary school teacher because I hate dress up day. Right I hate them. I hate 
them so much. I hate dressing up. <laughs> I am not a huge Halloween fan. I mean, I like the spooky part of yeah. it. But the pick a costume out and dress up, uh-huh. no, not me. Yeah. Um, I like to go normal. You know, I don't like things on my head. I don't like masks and things of that nature. So it's very hard for me to... You no. can do it for one day. For one day, exactly. And we won't have to worry about the Christmas tree sales. We have Christmas tree sticker sales. The Christmas tree isn't as fantabulous as the turkey. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I never worry. I never worn that. I've never won that one. So I don't really <laughs> care. But <laughs> again, it's another day and I don't dress up. I, but I will for the kids. There you go. And I will win $700 come rolling through my door. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. So we'll be on the lookout for that, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Yeah. And other than that, yeah, we'll be preparing for our Philbrook Festival tour. I am so so excited. excited. I've never been. Me neither. I've always wanted to go. Tickets go super fast. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to going. I the think benefit, it's be a lot of fun. yes, it's going to be so good. The benefit of there are so few benefits of being an educator mm-hmm. in the state of Oklahoma. And guys, I love this state. Mm-hmm. I love being a teacher. I, it's hard to be a teacher in this state. Yeah, it is. We One come of, from a family of teachers. Absolutely. Too, so. It's just in our blood. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. But one of the great benefits that we have is the Philbrook gives teachers memberships Mm -hmm. for free. Mm -hmm. So I I have a teacher membership to Mm -hmm. visit whenever, but I get all the full membership Mm -hmm. privileges. Because, you know, sometimes those free memberships Uh have like a clause to them. Right. That oh, stipulations. Yes, or, exactly. Oh, you can have free admission, but, but yeah. since you didn't pay for it, you don't qualify yeah, for yeah. XYZ. Right. Philbrook is not like that. No, so. I love Philbrook. Me and, too. Um, I think that the, the Tulsa, um, Tulsa has like a, a Tulsa run every year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always around this kind this time of year. Yeah. And I always love looking at their stuff because they post little things in the kind of like the yard area of the runners running by. Yes. And like the one they posted today, it said like, run like you're an art thief. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, I saw that up. one. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love their sense of humor. Yes. They have such a great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, do you have any other? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, I forgot to mention it last week when Ashley was on, but I have a correction for myself. Oh. I haven't noticed anybody pointed out, but I noticed it when I re-listened to the Philbrook episode, talking okay. about Philbrook. Uh, we were talking about Wait Phillips and his twin brother, <laughs> Wyatt, and I apparently spelled both names the same. I, t- I didn't so, remember. <laughs> well, I did, and it bothered me. Okay. <laughs> so Wyatt was spelled W-I-A-T-E. Okay. And Wait was W-A-I-T-E. I mean, I could see so, how you would get those confused. Well, I spelled them both W-A-I-T-E, and it <laughs> bothered me so bad. Um, I think that's, I think that's everything. Okay. I don't 
can't really recall well, anything. Last week was Veterans Day. Yes, it was and great. Then, yeah, I don't, I don't think there is anything. Okay. Well, if I think of it, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> Whatever I can do. This week is going to be a two-parter. Ooh. Our first two-parter. Well, I guess not really, because the outlaw one. <laughs> yeah, there was that one outlaw one yeah. where we... But this is a true crime episode. It is technically solved. Mm-hmm. Technically. Allegedly. There is a lot of conspiracy surrounding it, mm-hmm. a lot of mixed feelings surrounding it. It's just, it's one of those cases when you look in the true crime world, it's one of those true crime stories that when you think about Oklahoma and true crime, it's going to come up. Uh-huh. And so I was trying to give some hints, <laughs> but um, most of you have probably heard of it. I had kind of heard of it before i didn't know a lot about it this is one that you could spend we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks Mm -hmm. on the subject but it is the karen silkwood case i've actually i've only listened to one podcast that covered Mm -hmm. it i i don't even think i'd really heard it before until just this past year okay so i'm interested to see what your take is on it okay I'm going to try to wait to the end because uh-huh. there's a lot of good theories, a lot of good hmm type mm-hmm. moments, mm-hmm. 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 a lot of things that are questionable. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, I don't know that there was anything deliberately done wrong mm-hmm. from like a police standpoint. Like I think they did everything that they could have done. Yeah. But... It's just eerie, and in the words of us, it's a bit kooky what went down. So, yeah, so this is going to be two parts because otherwise I'd probably have y'all for two or three hours. (laughs) I did use Wikipedia. I also used Britannica.com and the book It Happened in Oklahoma by Robert L. Dorman. Of course, I used Oklahoma's Most Notorious Cases by Kent Freight. He's also the one that I used for the Sirloin Stockade. Oh, yeah, that's right. I used Case 201, the Karen Silkwood Part 1 and 2 from the Siren Southern True Crime Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one of our followers. Shout out to the Sirens. <laughs> and I also listened to the Irioki Podcast, oh, okay. who's also a follower. Shout out to Irioki. Hi, Marnie. <laughs> so... <laughs> That is who I use. There's also a movie that came out in 1983 called Silkwood starring Meryl Streep. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. Um, Cher is also in the movie. Oh. And it did really well, and it got a lot of Academy Award mm-hmm. nominations. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I think a few of them did win. But um, if you can find it... Mm-hmm. You can watch it. There's also a book called Who Killed Karen Silkwood. I was going to check it out from the Tulsa City County Library, but it's one of those very special books that you have to check it out and stay in the library. Yeah, you can't take it home. No. And it had to go to Central Library. Oh, which is downtown for those of you who don't know. <laughs> exactly. I was hoping they would have shipped it to maybe... 
the library closer. close to me. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's an option. Maybe if it is. If it is, let me know. <laughs> so I did not – I tried to look up some pages. I did see a few pages online that I could mm-hmm. look at, but – most of my information came from the Kent Freights book. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, cool. Here we go. Let's dive this, right this in. This is kind of a doozy. Karen Gay Silkwood was born February 19th, 1946 in Longview, Texas, but raised in Netherland, Texas. She died November 13th, 1974. So, so we just celebrated yeah. her anniversary. I know a lot of news stations and podcasts and just I think the Tulsa World had an article just kind of bringing the case back mm-hmm. up and reminding people what had happened. Mm-hmm. She was 28 when she died and she was killed in a car crash near Crescent, Oklahoma. She was a chemical technician. She made plutonium pellets mm-hmm. for Kerr McGee. She was also a labor union activist who raised health concerns about the corporate practices related to health and safety in a nuclear facility. Wow. She was the first woman on Kerr McGee's union's negotiations team. Oh, that's, that's cool. Early in life, Uh, She had two sisters, Linda and Rosemary. Mm -hmm. She loved science in school, wanted to be a scientist. Mm -hmm. So when she graduated from high school, she received a full-ride scholarship to Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Mm -hmm. However, a year later, she dropped out in 1965 to marry William Meadows and quickly followed with having three children. Oh, okay. In 1972, there was really a lot of drama between her and William, and it ends up William was spending a lot of money, and he worked, um, I think, he worked for the oil and gas industry. I think he was a lineman. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they make good money, but he spent a lot of it drinking and had a mistress on the side who happened to be Karen's friend. Oh, And they were, I guess, technically were common law married. Mm -hmm. So when she filed for divorce, like Mm -hmm. she got to file for divorce, and Mm -hmm. he recognized that he was the cheater, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't going to leave his girlfriend. And so it was kind of like a, well, it's me or her situation. And he, I guess, chose her. Oh. So in the fight, yeah. he ended up getting custody of their three children. Uh-huh. So she leaves. Which and, seems kind of rare. Yes. normally that's not the case. Yeah. So he really demanded the custody of the children. And so she and I don't it never really goes in. And I'm just assuming because these children are still alive and they have a lot of mixed feelings about this case. Some Uh of the children, you know, are really outspoken about it and Mm -hmm. others of them, you know, really want nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't even have the children's names Mm -hmm. listed. So, I mean, they're adults now. But yeah. Well, we still want to um, protect respect them. Their yeah, and rep- yeah. She after her divorce is final, she moves to Oklahoma City. She wanted to get back into the science industry mm-hmm. and she was really good at it and smart and she followed up on it. So, she quickly got a job at Kerr McGee. Mm. 
So she got a job as a chemical technician at the Kermagee Corporation Cimarron facility near Crescent. That sounds like super smart. Right. (laughs) I think she was really smart. I really think she had a really bright future Mm -hmm. for her. I wish she would have made some better choices in life, but... Hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. Right. That's and I'm an all outsider. Us, right. Exactly. She actually made plutonium into fuel rods for experimental nuclear reactors. They were searching for alternative means of energy. This was right towards the t- the start of like the energy crisis, right before the eighties. Oh, okay. When she got hired on, she joined the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union, which you're going to hear me refer to as OCAU. From okay. now on, or O C A W from now on. That is a mouthful for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, when she started, she started to really question the safety of the workers and the quality control procedures. She mm-hmm. thought that they just were kind of lax and yeah. things weren't adding up and that things could be run better. Well, so, that's good though. Yeah. We need people like that. Yeah. So she questioned the accuracy of x-rays of the wells on the fuel rods. She thought that maybe they might be getting fudged a bit. So we're going to kind of go back and forth Mm -hmm. um, on a lot of this stuff. I'm going to kind of take you on a wild ride. So buckle up. I'm ready. Buckle up. Here we go. Oh, also, we're going to start with 1973, 1974. Okay. Karen was dealing with many personal problems during this time period. She dated Drew Stevens. Mm-hmm. He was also a worker for Kermagee. How old was she at this time? Oh, 26, 27. Okay. So still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. So she dated him, and he's going to become pretty prominent in our story. She dates him on and off, on and off. And it all kind of starts in 1974 when Karen discovers that she has been contaminated by plutonium. Now, nowadays... But she worked with plutonium. mm -hmm. Nowadays, we know that even a pollen-sized... amount bit of Mm -hmm. it yes can cause cancer oh wow (sighs) and but back in the 70s i think they knew that Mm -hmm. but they kept it under wraps or if they didn't know it they suspected it you know what that kind of makes me think of um i don't know if you've read the book or watched the movie but the radium girls i i have not done that yet you should totally read that book okay it is Great. Is it about... It's about... And it's true. It's a true story. It's about the girls who painted the... The, the like, stopwatches. Yes. And, with um, the greens. And they would put it in their... They put the paintbrushes in their mouth. Yeah. Okay. But they yes. Would, but they would use it for anything. Like and it they was paint in, their teeth? Uh, I don't know if they would paint their teeth. They'd paint their nails. Okay. Yeah. And... Some of them, I think, just to have some fun, would put it on, like, their face or, oh. in their, you know, oh, like, my. Oh. and go, like, in the dark where it would glow. It, and, like, it was on their clothes mm-hmm. oh, my already. Gosh. And then when they would go out, you know, they would glow. But, you know, radium was used in, like, makeup and all sorts oh, of things. But that gosh. was before they knew the effects of it. But anyway, the, yeah. sorry to get off track. But that no, that's, made okay. me, that's what that made me think of. Okay. So Karen, we're going to go back a little okay. bit. 
Karen tested the plutonium pellets and reactor rods used to fire the Fast Flux Test Facility in Hanford, Washington. This facility wanted to build nuclear plants in the future because that was the plan for that. They thought nuclear energy was alternative Um, energy. What were they testing again? Fast Flux what? Fast Flux. They were a Fast Flux testing facility. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) Here's a kooky fact, though. Okay. Plutonium is nuclear and found in trace amounts in nature. Okay. Fissionable quantities can be produced from uranium. This stuff is mainly used in making atomic bombs, though. Okay, well, quick question, because I'm not a science person. (laughs) You said fissionable? Fissionable. What does that mean, exactly? I have to ask all the weird questions. Fissionable means it's capable of or possessing a nucleus or nuclei capable of undergoing fission. And fission is the act of cleaving or splitting like atoms into parts. Well, I'm glad you said that because when you said fission, I'm thinking like going fission. Oh, no. F-I-S-S-I-O-N. Oh, because oh, I was like fission. So like nuclear fission is when the nucleus of an atom is split into the nuclei Mm -hmm. and um energy is released Mm -hmm. and boom yeah big big bombs i get it now fission 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 so sorry not fission y'all my oki came out there (laughs) for a second so anyways in 1972 dangerous amounts of exposure to plutonium was controversial It's kind of like it reminds me of the Marie Curie days and and uranium girls where they didn't necessarily know that it was bad, that so many people in early 1900s used these types of chemicals and Mm -hmm. atoms and elements for health and beauty right yeah and then one day they woke off and their bottom jaw falls off right you know exactly so this is another one of those pollen sized amounts if inhaled or swallowed will cause cancer but external exposure usually held as not so dangerous i don't know about you but if a pollen-sized amount gets into my mouth and I swallow it and it's almost instant like I'm going to get cancer, right. I don't want to touch it with my hands either. I mean... Because where's the first place, your hands, when you touch anything, the next place, you're always touching your face. Yeah. And even in a post-COVID world where I don't touch my face as much as I used to, right. and I'm much more conscientious about cleaning my hands, mm-hmm. you still... I. I live in Oklahoma. I have allergies. My yeah. nose is always runny. Right. And then I wipe it. Yeah. Well, like for me, I have eyeglasses. Yes. And, you know, you get those eye boogers. Right. And like just cleaning them out, you don't think of it. What did you just what touch? What did you just touch? Yes. And yes. then you just wiped it in your eye. I mean, I assume that people who deal with things like plutonium are probably much more conscientious. Well, I'm sure now they're in like hazmat suits and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, just thinking about even like like you said, back in the 70s. Yeah. I, don't, I just can't even imagine. Right, right. So the Cimarron plant that Karen worked for produced plutonium pellets from plutonium nitrate solution that was shipped from Hanford, Washington. 
Okay. The pellets were then inserted into stainless steel rods and welded shut. Karen's job was to test the pellets in rods to ensure integrity. Workers with plutonium pellets had to work in gloves with pellets placed inside sealed boxes. So one of the podcasts I had listened to told you to imagine it like, you know, when premature babies are born and mm-hmm. they have those boxes and you have to stick your hands the, in the like gloves. The incubator. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's something very similar to that. Okay. That, you know, she was supposed to stick her hands into these gloves and work with those rods. Okay. Workers had to monitor themselves for exposure and contamination. They were given devices that they were supposed to wear, much like x-ray technicians oh. now. They also tested each day after work, Mm -hmm. and contaminated workers would be decontaminated with simple soap and warm water wash, which I thought that was kooky. You're telling me... uh, That's it? Like, plutonium's going to come off me with a... Soap and water? Soap and water? Get me some dial. Plus, there were follow-up tests and (laughs) nasal swabs. Urine and fecal samples had to be taken. I even heard from another source that they could pour bleach on you and um, in my mind no. i don't know if anyone else is i'm a huge world war ii i love to read about heroic stories of people overcoming the in my mind one of the ultimate atrocities yeah in our, that's in one our of life my favorite eras yes in history. and in my mind when i'm thinking of this i was like wait didn't we learn that washing people with bleach was not great? Because I feel like at one time the Nazis did that to concentration camp prisoners to rid them of fleas or lice. And I was just like, we know that's not good for skin. Yeah, but they didn't care. Uh, and, but I, I don't mean to laugh. Like, yeah. I don't think that's funny, but that's so, a nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah. The cost of rejecting rods led Karen and others to believe that Kermagee was falsifying records and shipping out defective products. So in my mind, if something nuclear is defective, and this is pre-Chernobyl, so they knew what could happen, but they had yet to experience it yet. So she suspected it is that what you said yeah she started to because she i believe at one time she had rejected some of the rods Uh and had come to find out that the records had been falsified saying that she passed them well i was gonna ask you like what made her think that so i think she saw cracks or the welds she didn't approve of falsified information i mean that would give you i mean i think that would raise some red flags Yeah. So Karen claimed to have witnessed unsafe working conditions. For example, this is absolutely insane. 18 to 19-year-old workers with little to no training, most of who didn't understand the dangers of plutonium. Hello. It was pre-Back to the Future movie. (laughs) Um, They were dealing with plutonium. And I can assure you at the age of 18... And I was a Back to the Future child. I knew what plutonium could do. (laughs) I would have not been mentally prepared to deal with something that could cause me that much damage to my body. Well, it makes you wonder, like, how much were they getting paid? And if that was some kind of incentive, maybe? They were paid very well. Uh, I will tell you, 
to this day, and this is really jumping ahead, to this day, the state of Oklahoma has very mixed feelings about Kerr McGee. Mm-hmm. Most of their former workers were very supportive of it and loved it. They were they had great jobs, great careers, great benefits, treated mm-hmm. family as well. Mm-hmm. But there is that small group that definitely was probably of the Karen Silkwood age who thought that this is just any other big corporate America company in it for the dollar signs. Mm, mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Most of their workers, even though Kermagee is no longer around, most of their workers who retired with them have positive things to say about them, even yeah. today. So some other of those unsafe working conditions include uh, Karen claiming that Kermagee didn't tell the workers of the carcinogenic nature of plutonium. One of the sources, I think it was one of the podcasts, said that there were these pamphlets they were given when they first started working. Mm -hmm. And in bold letters, it said, like, plutonium doesn't cause cancer. And I'm like, hmm, that is is a lie. Because in the 1970s, they knew it did. Right. So security was very lax at the plant, and plutonium often was smuggled out of the company. And the entire time, every time I saw something mentioned that plutonium was being smuggled, I just got a picture of, you know, the opening scenes of The Simpsons where the, I think those are plutonium rods, fall in the back of Homer Simpson's shirt. Oh. Because I think I he works with plutonium, maybe. You know, honestly, I haven't watched a Simpsons episode, and I don't know. How I don't know. Long, I haven't so either. Like, but I, that's all I kept seeing. That that's all I kept seeing. So, um, yeah, security was lax, and plutonium often was smuggled out of the company. It's backed by both the AEC examinations and other workers. There was this found and proven in the bukus of investigations that, that just followed this. It surprises me that at a, at a nuclear power plant kind of place yes. that handles that kind of... Sorry, I need to move my mic really fast that handles that kind of stuff would be so lax in security. Yeah. Like, I don't, that just surprises me, really. Yes. So Karen started working at the plant in 1972. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact date that she started working there. But by November of 1972, she's involved with the first strike. Okay. And it lasted two months, but actually ended up broke and they had a two-year contract signed which virtually had no change in any of the conditions that they had asked for Mm -hmm. during the strike so that was karen's first experience with the union Mm -hmm. and the activity in the strike and she was a part of it so during Mm -hmm. 1973 to 1974 like i said before karen had dealt with many personal problems and she dated this drew stevens guy Mm -hmm who was from Kermagee. Um, they ended their relationship in September of 73, okay. and she attempted suicide. Wow. She was okay. unsuccessful, obviously. It was via overdose. Mm. So something okay. to keep in mind. In 74, Karen had started to abuse Quaaludes, which was a prescription sleeping pill. Okay, I was going to ask what that was. Uh, it's a, and this is going to be a major, major player. So keep that the in quaaludes. mind. The quaaludes, yes. Okay. Um, she was also reported to be a heavy smoker of the Mary Jane. 
Oh, okay. Um, she was a drinker. I'm Okay, before I say this next line, I am going to go out on a limb. Okay. I do not approve of victim shaming. No. And I, I think care. 90% of us are like that, especially victims who pass away. Right. And first off, victims' personal lives are none of our business. Mm -hmm. And they should not play a role Mm -hmm. in what kind of a victim they are. Right. And when you report that a victim slept around, I don't think that has any bearing on whether or not they deserved to die or be murdered or to be caught up in a controversy. I don't think that that part of, quote, her reputation, quote, should have played any part in this case. Right. But I agree. It is stated that she slept around a lot and went through several roommates. Although one roommate stays constant, I know like that one point they reported that she and her roommate were lesbians together, which again should not pay or play any part in this. Right. And I just feel like from some of the sources, I'm, it, this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. and I am not a professional, but right. it is my opinion that they place a lot of emphasis on this. Mm-hmm. Like the her trying to attempt suicide. Well, her, her and her boyfriend broke up. You don't know what type of mental health Mm-hmm. issues she was going through at right. the time you don't know how that affected her psyche yeah so take a step back you know <laughs> that shouldn't play a part in this case well it should unfortunately that happens a lot oh yeah I think and the point is is a life was lost exactly whether it it was murder or mm-hmm. some or an accident or an accident a life was lost mm-hmm. she was a mother she was someone's yes. daughter um people still recognize that loss yeah. she was still a person and i think that's what we as people need to remember mm-hmm. is it's not just about the victim it's about their families as well yeah because who wants to hear about their mom being sleeping around and that's why she was oh, murdered? Right. Can you imagine? Exactly. Exactly. I'd want to punch someone in the throat. If I would too. Was talking about my mama like that. I'm just saying. Especially like her children were still very young mm-hmm. when she passed away, and I just think like these books and these podcasts and these movies and documentaries are all out about her. And when you say stuff like that, this poor adult now was one time a child who literally lost their mother at a very young age right like six or seven or eight Mm -hmm. can you imagine no furthermore it's just oh what was i gonna say i don't even know never mind continue (laughs) maybe i'll think of it all right so let's talk about contamination let's do it (laughs) in july of 74 karen becomes contaminated Okay. It was insignificant by... So did she take her shower and dial soap and... <laughs> so I'm assuming. Water. It, it was insignificant by the AEC standards. Kermagee couldn't determine the source of her contamination. So they decontaminated her and sent her on her way. In August of 74, Karen is elected as one of three 
O-C-A-W, that oil, chemical, Mm -hmm. et cetera, Uh bargaining agents to negotiate the new union's contract. Karen starts collecting evidence at this point of incidents and falsifications of records on contamination. She kept notes and interviewed other employees. The goal was, one, for safety improvement. Mm -hmm. That's what she wanted. And two, she wanted information that could be used as leverage in the next negotiating uh, union contract. Mm -hmm. So before the expiration of the current contract, some workers petitioned to decertify the OCAW union. This was December 1st of 74. Uh, Karen, along with Jack Tice and Jerry Brewer, they fly to Washington, D.C. after they had set their goals. Mm -hmm. They knew as of December 1st of 1974, the current contract with the union was going to expire. So they needed to figure things out. So on September 26th... Sorry, was that like a... When you say they needed to figure things out, it was like a a renegotiation of the contract? Yes, yes. So on September 26th of 1974, Karen, along with Jack Tice and Jerry Brewer, fly to Washington, D.C. to meet with the National OCAW and AEC representatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They outlined 39 safety and security problems at the Kermagee plant. 39? 39. Ooh, just at that one plant. Yeah. There were four allegations against the plant, and the AEC determined at that point to do an investigation. Karen asked was asked to collect facts with regards to her health because they had known she had previously been contaminated, and the quality control test. She promised, and if she was able to do this, mm-hmm. they promised that they were going to get the New York Times to publish her story. Mm-hmm. But her facts had to be ironclad, obviously. It's the New York Times. Right. So upon returning, Karen's family and friends noticed that her health seemed to be deteriorating. Yeah. And she had become... So how long was she up there or down there or over there? Not very long. Maybe just a few days, I think. So by the time she left and then came back... They thought that she um, had been... Maybe they hadn't seen her in a while. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. So she had become increasingly dependent on the quaaludes. And I don't know. If someone knows, please message us or reach Mm -hmm. out. If a side effect of this plutonium Mm -hmm. poisoning contamination Mm -hmm. is sleep deprivation. Because she is increasingly using these quaaludes. Uh Uh-huh which is a prescription sleeping pill. Right. I wondered if this stemmed from previous personal things mm-hmm. or if this stemmed from... A byproduct of A byproduct. Plutonium. Yeah, exactly. That's an so, interesting... Yeah. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And on October 31st at 1.15 a.m., Karen is in a car accident off of Highway 33, four miles outside of Guthrie. She was alone in her white Honda Civic... She said that she swerved to miss a cow. Mm. The car spun, and it backed off a 13-foot embankment and hit a fence post. Okay. 
So this was kind of the first I had heard about this car wreck because in other sources I had heard that she had never been in one Mm -hmm. until the one that killed her. But this one I had heard. When did you say that was? October 31st of 1974. So a wrecker towed her car back onto the highway Mm -hmm. and she was able to drive. All the damage. After hitting a fence? Mm Mm-hmm. Or a cow. Oh, she, she didn't hit the cow. Hit yeah, the cow. she or swerved and missed the, the cow, cow and, hit the fence. and hit a fence. Which, okay. in hindsight, I don't know. When I was in eighth grade, my math teacher hit a cow. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when you hit a cow, oh, the I farmer mean. is at fault. Unlike oh, when really? You, yeah, unlike when you hit a deer. So I'm like, wow, well, you should have just hit the cow. Mm-hmm. Although I think cows total cars. so Well, they do a lot more damage, I'm sure, than a deer. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say deers can't cause <laughs> yeah. a lot of damage. But. Yeah, exactly. So all the damage on her car was done to the right quarter panel, right tail light, and tag light. Uh, the wreck was not reported to the police because she was able to go. To drive. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So huh. as of November 5th, Karen is contaminated again. She tested positive on her left hand, right wrist, upper arm, neck, face, hair, and inside her nasal cavity. The AEC says the contamination of 500 disintegrations per minute, and from here on out, you're going to hear me, instead of saying disintegrations per minute, it'll Uh be DMs. Well, I think that's interesting that they can pinpoint exactly where these contamination areas i wonder if there is like a swab they do or maybe like in my mind i'm like is there like a black light or something well i mean maybe maybe. it's plutonium so the aec says that contamination of 500 disintegrations per minute or dms was safe that was at that time it's no longer like that i would think not Karen had 10,000 DMs with her nose alone having 150. What? And even though the nasal cavity was under the maximum limit, it had been inhaled, which is when plutonium is the worst for you. So because if it gets straight into your lungs, then it can go everywhere. Right. They were really concerned with that. Was she sniffing it? Well, and when they found it in her nose, they most likely assumed that it had traveled to her lungs because you're breathing. So Karen was decontaminated and sent home. She never, they never would figure out how it got those contaminations. And there's a lot of speculation about that because the uh, Kermagee facility was behind in shipping out those rods Mm -hmm. to Washington. And so people were working every day, Mm -hmm. may not be getting any days off at all. A lot of them would get, quote, contaminated just because they would get sent home that day and finally get a day off. Oh, that's so sad. Right. So there was a lot of pressure to get this work done. Right. And when that happens, we all know that when you're under pressure, safety... You cut corners. Absolutely. Safety precautions go are the first thing to go out the window. Right, yeah. So um, they could never figure out how she was contaminated. And I had heard on one of the podcasts where the inside of her glove, because it was on her hand, 
Right. And she's not supposed to be handling it bare hand. Right. So it had to have come from the inside of her glove, which was in the machine. But how did it get there? And the gloves, when investigated, the gloves had no holes in them. So how did it get there? That is so sketchy. Right. That's so sketchy. Right. And it it goes, if it's on her hand, of course, you take your hands out thinking that they're safe. Yeah. And you rub your nose. You scratch your face. You scratch your neck. Whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? I have questions. So many questions. <laughs> so when Karen, she's sent home, she is sent home with a urine and a fecal test, which was very typical. Right. Because they wanted to make sure you hadn't ingested it in it. Well, with it, finding it in her nasal cavity, uh-huh. it they're suspecting it's in her system. On November 6th, Karen returns to work. This is the next day. Okay. She spent an hour doing paperwork, then discovered she was contaminated again. I There's some device that I'm assuming they wore or were near that must have gone off. Well, you know, okay, so um, this is my nerd coming out, and I'm sorry I keep interrupting you. No, you're um, I watched a documentary on Netflix about the... Um. Oh gosh, what's it called? The sh- um, Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. There's like a lot of kooky stuff that goes mm-hmm. on, and they, uh, anyway, I think there's some weird radiation stuff that mm-hmm. ha- can happen. And in this documentary, um, the the guy that owns the ranch had um gotten all. Like they they were doing experiments to try and figure out these weird anomalies and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, and he had gotten them. I think they were kind of like wrist watches. They looked like wrist wrist watches, but they monitored like any radiation yeah. that was coming on to you yeah. and your oxygen and temperature, right. like all that kind of stuff. And that kind of with them, you said they kind of had like maybe a monitor mm-hmm. or something that they wore yeah. to. Te- uh, keep track of those levels yeah that makes me think of that well and when i worked at i thought for a hot minute i was going to be a veterinarian so Uh i worked at the vet clinic and every time we had to x-ray something i had to wear this monitor and it had my name on it Uh and everything and at the end of each month i think that Uh monitor had to be sent in for them to monitor my exposure to x-rays and x-rays are fairly safe but when you're exposed to it on a daily basis, right. it can be it can become unsafe. Right. So she's contaminated again. So she goes and she decontaminates by scrubbing with soap and water. So the day the next day, mm-hmm. November sixth, Karen returns to work, spends about an hour doing paperwork when she discovers she's contaminated again. See, I, I find that so suspicious like she's just being at work and all you've done is paperwork paperwork. she's not even actually done her actual job and you haven't i mean yeah like you haven't even been anywhere near that stuff yeah you know so Uh she scrubs with the soap and water Uh and that is supposed to really if it's just on your hands it's supposed to get rid of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) kooky fact Apparently, it gets rid of, soap and water gets rid of more than just the flu, common cold, and (laughs) the coronavirus. It also gets rid of plutonium. Interesting. (laughs) I don't know if I believe that, though. Stuff 
like that, I just feel like has to be more to it. Right. To get oh, I it. agree. So after she scrubs clean, mm-hmm. she then goes to a union meeting. At the end of the meeting, she tests again and now is found to be at 5,000 DMs on her. So what was she in the be- in the beginning, did it say? It doesn't say. Uh, 5,000 DMs on her right forearm, neck, and face. Her right navel cavity had 170 DMs. And Karen was asked where she thought it was coming from. And she thought it was actually coming from her lungs. Like she thought she was breathing it up. Mm, okay. Which is terrifying to me. Absolutely. So her locker and her car were all tested to see mm-hmm. if maybe she had touched it or something. They all came back negative. So she leaves the plant. She has to test again. She leaves the plant when she finally gets a negative test. On mm-hmm. uh, November 7th, the next day, at 7.50 a.m., she is tested upon arriving at work. Mm-hmm. She is highly contaminated with 45,015 <gasps> DMs in her right nostril and 44,998 DMs in her left nostril. Remember, oh my gosh. Safe, they claim safe to be 500. Right. And she is over 45,000 in one nose or one side of her nose, I guess. <sighs> her hands, arms, neck, chest, and ear are contaminated. The contamination, though, has occurred at this point outside the plant. Because remember, she left the day before with a negative test. Right. She's coming to work highly contaminated. What is going on? Karen calls her roommate and tells her to stay out of the bathroom in the kitchen. Kermagee Health... Is that because that's where she had been? We'll get there. Oh, okay. Kermagee Health Physicist, along with Karen, go to her apartment. Her roommate is checked out and found to have contamination on hands and buttocks. Her boyfriend is checked and found to be clean. The kitchen and stove are contaminated, but the most extreme contamination was found inside the refrigerator on a package of bologna and a package of cheese with 400,000 DMs. The bathroom is highly contaminated. The toilet seat had 100,000 DMs, and this was probably how how her roommate was contaminated. She probably sat down on the toilet and used the bathroom. Karen claims that she spilled her urine sample in the bathroom. So that's why there might have been that much contamination. That's gross. She then picked up, this is, there's a part of me where maybe they just weren't as hand washing crazy as we are. Oh, no. We're is, in a post-pandemic. Am I going to get grossed out? Pro- probably. Because I, this is ugh, kind Mom, of squeamish. don't listen. <laughs> Karen claims she spilled her urine sample in the bathroom. She then picked up the bologna and the cheese in the kitchen and returned them to the refrigerator. Like she had made a sandwich. Uh, and okay. in my mind, I was like, okay, you spill your urine sample. I get it. I get it. You spill it. You clean it up. I'm uh-huh. assuming she cleaned it up. I would hope so. I. It's not stated anywhere that she... She didn't use soap, did she? <laughs> it's... It's not stated anywhere that she used any type of cleaning product. It's not stated anywhere that she washes her hands after she cleans up her urine. (laughs) So. That is so gross. So. We don't don't know. know. We can't say one way or or the other other. if she did it. I'll just say this. The thought of it. Right. 
of not washing your hands or not thoroughly cleaning mm-hmm. a urine urine spill grosses me out. Yes. I'll just leave it at that. There was there's one source that I had heard that she had carried the package of bologna to the bathroom <gasps> and sat it on the toilet. Seat. Why would she do okay, that? Okay, why would why she would do that? Exactly. Who do did that? that? Even in the 1970s, people didn't do that. I mean, I don't know that I can get behind that statement. You don't eat where you crap. Right, right. Even animals Literally. know that. Animals know that. So I don't know. They had mentioned that she had said it, but in my other sources, no one else mentioned that she had ever said it. So I don't know. I can't imagine that being true, but I don't know. Crazy things happen. I just, I, that it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Like, why would... That doesn't... It's, that's just gross. That's it is just gross. gross. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just gross. So I. It, it's, it's hard nasty for me. Is what it is. It's hard for me to imagine that anyone would do that. Right. Because right. especially you got a roommate too. Like if I saw my roommate walk walk into the bathroom with a package of meat, I'm like, what are you? I would be calling you out. Right. That's all I got. <laughs> like, where say. you think you're going? Be like you best put that bologna in the <laughs> trash can when you get back we out. We ain't eating a I sandwich eating in there. <laughs> Where so, was the bread? So was the bread contaminated? They didn't. I mean, I would assume it had to be. It had contaminated cheese and bologna on it. So the bread had to have been contaminated as well. <laughs> so upon testing said urine sample, mm-hmm. it contained insoluble well, plutonium. I thought she spilled it. Did she take another one? I suppose so. Okay. Well, I, all, all right. right. She. It contained insoluble plutonium. Now. As what does that mean? A fifth grade science teacher, we heavily study solubility of matter. Okay. And solubility is matter's ability to dissolve okay. in liquids. Okay. In fifth grade, it's water. That's the liquid we use the most. It's been a long time since I've been in fifth grade, (laughs) and I don't remember any of it. This urine contained insoluble plutonium. Okay, if it's insoluble, it would not be able to pass through your body because your body should be able to dissolve Mm -hmm. pretty much everything that passes through you. It would not pass through her body into her urine. How did it get spiked, though? That's that's a good question. Karen is blamed for it. She's blamed for spiking her union. Although later on, union. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) my bad. Karen is blamed for spiking her urine. Maybe she was spiking the union too. I don't know. But if she's blamed <laughs> well, she for was spiking for her it, urine, right? she's Kermit. They came down and they said, "You're the one spiking it because that's insoluble. There's no way that that went through your body and came out of your body." I mean, body. that is sketchy too. Right, it is. Why would you want to basically poison yourself? Exactly. And so later on, after her death, her attorney for the Silkwood Estate states Uh that Karen would have known about insoluble plutonium and not spiked it. She would have known. Well, yeah, she was a big science person. Exactly. So it's interesting that that happened. Of course, there's a lot of people out there that'll say, who did she have to turn her urine sample over to? Uh Did she have eyes on it the whole time? And if not... At any point, someone could have put something inside of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
questions, questions, questions. Exactly. November 8th, the very next day, Karen meets with the DC union rep and the AC reps, Mm -hmm. clear of contamination, which it boggles my mind that someone could go from being have a contamination level of 44,000 one day and literally the next day have nothing. Yeah, uh, that boggles my mind too. I'm confused right now and uh, just questioning just about everything, honestly. So Kermagee had its own set of health physicist directors on their staff. Uh And this one had the last name of Norwood and he comes up a lot Uh in this case. But he and the Kerm- and Kermagee return to Karen's apartment on November 8th mm-hmm. and remove all the contaminated items from it. Well, it just makes you wonder, like, when did she get contaminated at her house? Because, like, hmm. if it's in the bathroom and in the kitchen, I mean, what about her bed that she slept in? What about the couch oh. sofa in the living room? What about all that stuff? They take it. Is that all that stuff contaminated, too? Everything. I would think so. They take everything. They And here's the Did thing. Did I jump the gun on that? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. They get to her apartment and remove all contaminated items, essentially everything. Mm-hmm. Now, these people mm-hmm. who go to remove her contaminated things mm-hmm. are wearing galoshes, respirators, gloves. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Huh. They were also unsupervised. While removing things. Interesting. I also want everyone to keep in mind that Karen's on-again and off-again boyfriend Mm -hmm. also worked for Kermagee. November 9th. about that. (laughs) November 9th. Karen meets again with the AEC consulting physician and Kermagee's consulting physicians. They... decide to send her to Los Alamos, New Mexico to be further tested with more sophisticated equipment because they just aren't equipped to have equipped it, to have equipped this to do it. constant person well, <laughs> in their facility being contaminated. Well, I find it interesting that she's the only one we've heard about that has been like a constant no it's like this roller coaster where it's like this was happening to several people people. the only reason why that's focused on this is because Because of of the outcome november 12th or oops Jumped the gun there. November 10th, Karen, her roommate, and her boyfriend fly to New Mexico for testing Mm. with this sophisticated... Did the company pay for that? I'm sure they did. They had to. On November 12th, Los Alamos doctor gives Karen the results of her preliminary testing. Okay. Karen is said to have eight nanocuries of plutonium. I'm not sure what... Nanocurie is a... Um, unit of measurement. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that would be equivalent to. I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. But I do know it is a unit of measurement. Is it named after Madame Curie? I'm pretty positive. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Um, Eight nanocuries of plutonium in her lungs. The AEC's permissible limit was 16. But it is stated and it is known that a pollen-sized amount, and this is in almost every single source that I have, that I read, and it's just common knowledge at this point, but Mm -hmm. a pollen-sized amount 
of plutonium can give you cancer. And it was known then. It's known now. And here they're saying she's got these eight nanocuries in her lungs, even though the legal limit was 16. I'm sorry. I don't want even one inside me. Yeah. This test was just a preliminary test. And it, he, she was told it could be uh, like plus or minus three in either direction. Oh, geez. So, no, there's that. So all three are then shipped back to Oklahoma City. On November 13th, Karen is meeting with the D.C. Union rep again and a New York Times reporter. They have a date set up. Okay. The meeting was to be held at 8 p.m. in Oklahoma City to hand over documents of the falsified test In the morning, Karen was in contract negotiations. That evening, she met with the AEC investigators to determine her contamination. Karen appeared emotionally disturbed at this meeting. She cried and expressed fear for her health. She had just gotten back from... Well, I mean, I can imagine. Los Alamos. You're on this, like plutonium roller coaster like oh am i gonna test positive today or am i not it's just what gets me is the how uh, spontaneous it is Mm -hmm. like i uh, um what am i trying to say it just seems so sketchy to me Mm -hmm. it seems sketchy yeah it is so at 5 30 that evening karen goes to a union meeting Mm mm-hmm she leaves at 7 o'clock. Okay. Two of the union members off, offer to drive her to Oklahoma City because she seemed extremely nervous. I mean, hello. She was about to hand over all of her documentation. Right. Plus, she had had this health scare. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, family said she di- she looked like her health was deteriorating. I imagine it was exhausting. Oh, Yes. So um, she seemed extremely nervous. She left with a notebook and a folder. Wanda Jean Jug swore by affidavit about seeing this folder and this notebook Mm -hmm. and said that Karen had told her she had proof concerning false records and was headed to the New York Times reporter with her evidence. Now was this, did you say her last name was Jug? Jung. Jung. Mm Mm-hmm. Was she like a trusted friend or something or just an She swore by affidavit. She was one of the members there. So she swore by affidavit. Because I was like, I don't think I'd be going around telling people. I, they were friends. They were evidence. friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at 710, Karen leaves and takes Highway 74 towards Oklahoma City. About 7.13 miles south of Crescent, Karen's car leaves the road and crashes into a concrete culvert. And is, those, is that those um, concrete like barrier things in the middle? No, a culvert. It's a drainage or channel crossing under a road, sidewalk, sewer, or conduit. So, like, think of it as you're driving over a road. It's kind of like a bridge, and then it's a metal culvert. Is like yes. right there. Okay, so, I know what you're like talking a water. about. Okay, yeah. So. Um, where she dies. Mm. And I'm going to read from page 168 of Oklahoma's Most Notorious Cases by Kent Freights. At the point where the accident occurred, Highway 74 is a straight, flat, two-lane asphalt highway. 
Karen's car crossed the oncoming northbound lane and traveled approximately 255 feet on the east shoulder of the highway. The car then contacted the north wing wall of the culvert, went airborne, and crashed into the south wing wall. Her speed was estimated at 50 to 55 miles per hour, and there was no evidence Silkwood ever hit the brakes. And mm. I am going to end there Ooh. Ooh, okay. and pick up next week with okay. part two, where we'll talk about the investigation into her death, some uh-huh. of the conspiracies okay. surrounding her death. Because I think there's probably a lot. Other things that surround <laughs> it. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns for us. lots of questions. <laughs> please reach out at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. Please follow us on our socials at CuriousCousinsOK on Instagram, CuriousCousinsOK podcast on Facebook, any of our podcast platforms, <laughs> Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. We're there for you. All the things. Exactly. So give us your listener tales, your ideas. We're open for anything. Your reviews. Your reviews. Like and follow us. And Jess, tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.